Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body. Now, Philip Delarosa's got that one down. He ain't worried about his body at all. He just lets it go. Anyway, <laughs> that is a joke, okay? What you wear in life is not more important than your body, right? He says, look at, the, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than a bird or a, a daisy? Can anyone, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? If that were true, Americans would never die, right? It doesn't add one hour to your life by worrying. See how the flowers in the field grow? They don't labor or spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble enough of its own. Boy, isn't that true. I was thinking about what I worried about when I was in grade school. Maybe you can flash back. I worried about my grades. I worried about my homework. I worried about getting in trouble. One time, I carved my initials in my desk, and I got in trouble, had to go to the principal's office. They called my home. I couldn't get out of it because they were my initials, and it was my desk, not a bright kid. I remember thinking how good it will be one day when I'm grown up, and I don't have to worry anymore. I won't have teachers or parents to worry about. So Jesus is talking to a large group of people in this Sermon on the Mount, and he says here, my advice to you is just not worry about your life about anything. Now, what's striking about it is the people he's talking to. Most of this crowd were incredibly poor. They lived on less than a dollar a day. They'd be poor till they died. 90% of them would never be able to read or write. Many of them were lame or sick. They had no medicines, no health care. Plagues would come and kill up to a third of an entire city. Can you imagine? Many of them were slaves and would never be free. If you were a baby, odds were you wouldn't live past 30. That was their world. Now, if you look around this room, there are a lot of people over 30. Some of you are over 40. But, in, but in, I could go somewhere with that. I'm not. But in Jesus' day, 30 was about the average. There were exceptions, of course. But it was the average life expectancy. Now, I don't know about you, but... You could get kind of anxious knowing life is pretty short. That, that's a bad odds. But that was the Bible uh, synopsis of how life went for people back then. But now over the last 2,000 years, you'd agree living conditions have gotten a lot better. We're better educated. We're healthier. We're better resourced. And we're cleaner and freer 20 times more than people back then. 20 times. So isn't it great we don't have to worry anymore? Isn't it great that anxiety has been pretty much eliminated from the human condition? Yeah, or has it? Huh? 
There was a study done a few years ago by a guy from Harvard who wrote about how over the last 40 years, the diagnosis of depression and anxiety is 10 times more common today than 40 years ago. Even though we have better living conditions, we're healthier, better educated, wealthier, etc. So Jesus says, if you think more money, more health, more success is going to free you from worry, you're in for a big surprise. He tells us that we will never get to a worry-free life by more wealth, better health. The only way is learning how to put your life in the hands of a father to let it go. Just let go of your life like these birds. Now, here's what Jesus said. Take a look at the birds. They don't plant seeds. They don't harvest crop. They don't store food. Now, he's not saying there's anything wrong with planting or harvesting or storing. That's biblical. Nothing wrong with working. He's trying to say, but they don't do that stuff, and they still eat. How does that happen? Jesus says it's because of God. God is a good God. It's not by accident. He's taking care of them. He says, look at the flowers in the field. Just look at the wildflowers. Nobody plants. They don't toil. They don't spin. Spin, sorry. And they're so beautiful. The best dressed human beings in the world are nothing in comparison. Why are they so beautiful? Well, it comes from God. Then Jesus said, if, he's trying to appeal to us, if God takes care of dumb birds in the air and the flowers in the field that are all here today and gone tomorrow, you're a much more value to me than those flowers or birds, so he will take care of you, believer. He's watching over you. And people do occasionally enter this kind of life sometimes, even though their circumstances are pretty rotten and difficult. I read the story of a well-educated, financially well-off businessman who had gone through some pretty deep water personally in his life and marriage. He felt like he needed a fresh experience with God. So he started attending an inner city church where people were very strapped financially. He said what struck him most was when they would get together, their joy level was really, really high. Their problems were bigger, but their anxiety seemed much lower. One woman who lived on $600 a month, she got up in front of the church, she said, and said, I want to tell you a secret. She says, every time I get my little check, I cash it, I give my tithes to the Lord, and I give it to God. And that's what I do, and God always takes care of me. And he's listening to this. Somebody else He stood up, and this guy, he said, every time this guy got up on a weekend, this guy who had a very difficult life, he would pray the same thing. God, I thank you for getting me up this morning, because I wouldn't have gotten up if you didn't get me up. Thank you, Lord. Now, did you do that this morning? See, sometimes I just think, I get me up, and you forget to be grateful. Let me give you another example. Right now, just for a moment, everybody just take a swallow. That's it. It's not real hard. (laughs) Did you know there are people in hospitals so sick they can't even swallow? I'm never grateful for swallowing. I just assume it. But I need to learn to be grateful. You know, I was visiting a friend uh, yesterday, a member of our church and, uh, and a close, wonderful friend, but he was stricken with a, a, a light stroke, which took away his ability to move his left arm and leg and a little bit of the side of his face. And I thought, 
you know, I just take it for granted. I can jump up or run or move both hands, and everything at this moment does what it's supposed to do and what I tell it to do. Imagine losing half your body, and it won't work. And then you start, uh, imagine your joy level if suddenly the Lord let it start working. Oh, my God, would you be happy? Would you, be, you wouldn't be worrying about getting a new Bentley or whether you could get a new home in the Dominion. You wouldn't be worrying about a new Louis Vuitton purse. You'd be, oh, thank God, my hand moves. They're just stuff we take for granted every day. See, every time he woke up, this is Jesus, he never assumed anything. Every time he woke up, he just thought, God, thank you for waking me up for another day of life. Every time he swallowed, God, I thank you, my body is working. Every time he saw a bird or a flower, he saw a good, great God. It worked. He didn't get anxious over what might happen tomorrow. He lived one day at a time in the goodness of his Father God. And by doing so, he brought a great gift to people. This is what I want to share with you. I ran across a phrase a few months ago reading, describing the wonderful way uh, about who Jesus was. And you can remember it from three letters, N-A-P. It stands for a non-anxious presence. See, you can walk into a crowd of panic-filled people. Everybody's afraid, full of tension. But when somebody comes in who is not afraid, who is fully aware of the problem, not in denial, but calm and able to think and plan and has a quiet confidence, that spirit begins to spread. And everybody filled with anxiousness and anxiety starts to calm down. That person brings the gift of a non-anxious presence. Now think about this. I've gone into emergency rooms where a family member, maybe a father's had a stroke or something, and it's life-threatening, and all the family and the relatives are in there, and everybody, I mean, you can cut the tension with a knife. Everybody's crying. Everybody's upset. It's like a near-panic situation. And I've walked into that room, and I've been doing this for a lot of time. And I realize I'm walking in here with God-given authority. I know who I am. I understand the condition, not in denial about it. But I also know we do have a court of appeal. And I do have a, and the whole idea is to bring a presence in that room that calms it down. You know, some of you need that, to calm down. I'll tell you why in just a minute. You remember, a couple of illustrations flashed, flashed into my mind. Cindy, you'll remember this. Oh, gosh, I mean, maybe 40 years ago, I was flying a big twin-engine airplane. I had Cindy in the back. I had the senior pastor, his wife, his 88-year-old mother, the associate pastor, his wife, and me flying the plane. Ain't no co-pilot, just me. And we were climbing out of 14,000 feet, coming from Jacksonville, Florida, headed to Savannah, Georgia. And all of a sudden, the right engine went boom and blew up. And instantly all the chatter in that plane stopped and I mean the the co the guy riding co-pilot the associate pastor was a white guy but he was really white <laughs> he was really frightened you could tell fear all over him and I just did what all my training had instructed I killed the the uh, fuel flow to the engine to for a fire I did all the precautions leveled out and radioed we had lost an engine to air traffic control. And then the guy on air traffic control sounded all panicky. Do you, do you want us to declare an emergency? There's a lot of paperwork in that. I didn't want to do that. 
And I said, no, we're fine. We're fine. So I just leveled off. But I, I saw Ray. Ray Turner was sitting beside me, and I says, Ray, I got this. Ray, I trained for this. Ray, I've practiced this 400 times. Ray, these are big engines. It will fly on one engine. Everything's okay. Do not worry. He said later to a group of people in the church, he said, when I looked at Rick and he wasn't afraid and he told me, I got this, he said, I just felt a little bit of relief in my heart. Now, what if I had to scream, my God, I don't know what to do. Somebody pray for me. <laughs> then you just jack it up. You know, your husband could come home and say, I just lost my job. Or you could suddenly find out from some x-ray there's a lump. Could it be a cancer? Could it be benign? You don't know, and there's... Fr Calm down. Calm down. Now, okay, I may be wrong, but I've lived enough life to tell you this. It is never as bad as you think it's going to be. I don't care what it is. It's, you get grace for everything in life if you're a believer. It's never as bad as you thought. It just, the enemy makes you think it's going to be awful. And it's not near as bad as you think. It's bad, but it's not near as bad as you think. Remember when the NFL 49ers, you know, had that great quarterback, Joe Montana. And what, okay, that's a long time ago. What was great? about Joe was not just his arm strength or his foot speed, but he could be in a Super Bowl, two minutes to go, four points down, life or death, win or lose, 80 yards to the end zone, 90,000 people looking at him. And the 49ers would huddle, and Joe would always look at all his teammates and say, okay, everybody, calm down. Here's what we're going to do. I got this. It's going to be okay. And then they would say, well, if Joe thinks it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And they'd usually score. That's a non-anxious presence. Listen, every group needs one. Every family needs one. Everybody needs one. Years ago, 2008, when the economy tanked, you remember that? Everything collapsed. Charitable giving went down 40%. We just moved in here with a mega loan like everybody else in the country. And we wondered, are we going to lose it? Can we keep it? What's going to happen? Charlie Leroy in our church uh, was a former chief financial officer for Valero, was on our board, and he was retired, but he was serving, and when he would do the numbers and give a report to the board or whatever, I always felt like, shoot, we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. He was always positive, always smiled, always found all the good reports, what was good about this and that talking to our lenders and all, and of course, here we are, we made it. But my point was, he, he could have said, my God, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, I just hope we can hold on. Oh, I don't need that. I need somebody to see light at the end of the tunnel, you know. And so whether you're a doctor or whether you're a husband or whether you're a nurse or whatever, you must not panic. And I'll, I'll tell you why in just a second. But I learned that in flight school, water safety instructor, uh, scuba diving with a rescue team, first aid, don't panic. And I've practiced that. I don't care how bad it is. I am a child of God, and I will either get under it, over it, around it, or through it. I will somehow come out of this thing okay. Oh, it's rough. Yeah. But my confidence is not in the moment. It's in the fact I'm not worried about five years from now. I'm just getting through the day. And that's what you've got to do. Well, what if and what if and what if? Well, what if a bullfrog had wings? He wouldn't bump his bottom. What if? 
You can't live in that what if. You'll live in stress and anxiety. Well, what if if it's cancer? Well, what if it's not? And what if it is? We'll kill it. We'll do what we have to do. Stop it. But being anxious has never helped anybody, never changes the result, never fixes the problem, just jacks it up to a new level, right? So here's the good news. Jesus says to all of us today facing a new year, whatever your conditions or circumstances are, if you'll let me, I'll be your non-anxious presence. He's in a boat one time with his pals. Storm comes up. They're all panicking. Now, I've got to tell you this. I've watched Deadliest Catch and all those fish guys. They are not suave, and they got quite a vocabulary, <laughs> and they're, they're fearless. I mean, they live in that condition. So when these hardcore guys are freaking out like girls, it's got to be bad. It's got to be really bad on steroids, and they're all full of fear. They're scared to death. And anybody remember what Jesus was doing at that very moment? Taking a nap. Yeah. He ain't on Prozac. He just goes to sleep. They go back and wake him up. Don't you care? We're going to die. How are we going to pay the bills? How am I going to get my kids through school? They're just crying. And uh, Jesus said, stop it. Stop being afraid. It's going to be okay. And he gets up, looks at the storm, waves whipping, winds howling, and he says, if I took it literally from the Greek, shut up. Peace. Be still. And it did. Bang. Flat as glass. And they looked at each other and went, holy cow. What were we worried about? Who is this man? Jesus said, if you want to invite me into your life and make me your friend, your savior, your leader, your forgiver, your guide, just do it one day at a time. We get all worried about the rest of our life and try to figure everything out. Stop it. Well, how will we get the kids through college? How will we pay for that wedding? Stop it. Let's just take today. Let's just take today. That's what Jesus said to do. You're going to cut that anxiety down just a little bit. Every day will bring trouble enough of its own, he said. So just you and me, we do this one day at a time. Anybody here ever take dancing lessons? <laughs> Cindy and I thought we better do it for our daughter's wedding years ago. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church, and dancing was against the law. Although Scripture says, let us praise him in the dance. Yeah, we taught everybody to believe the Bible. We just weren't allowed to do it. So, yeah. So, we, you went to that church too. Okay. So, we decided we'd take the lessons. And the instructor told us, I've got a very important question. Who leads? There was dead silence. I knew the answer, but I wanted my wife to say it. <laughs> then through gritted teeth, she said, he leads. Then the instructor said, and who follows? Silence. <laughs> I follow, she said. Now, it was hard for her to follow for two reasons. One reason is when you aren't leading, you aren't in control. And it's hard not to be in control. The other reason is that when it comes to dancing, I'm a thoroughly incompetent leader. Yeah, I understand. But Jesus comes and says, now when your day arrives in the morning, I am a thoroughly competent leader. Trust me. Trust me. So you can wake up and say, okay, Jesus, just for this one day, you lead, I'll follow. 
And whatever I have to do in my relationships, my circumstances, my body, my health, my finances. And Jesus, I'm putting it in your hands. You lead, I'll follow. I'm taking it one day at a time. I won't try to figure out the rest of the year, the rest of the month. I won't try to solve everything. You lead, I'll follow. And then Jesus says, now, I'll be this for you if you'll do that. A non-anxious presence. So every crisis we've ever faced, I've, women cherish security. Men like a challenge. Women like security, stability, something that's predictable. And I'd always say to Cindy, we got this. We got, I'd, I'd quote a scripture or I'd say, the Lord's going to see you through this, going to see us through this, whatever it might be, whether it's with the kids or health or whatever it may be, financial, whatever. There's no way, I don't care who you are, there's no way you can get out of trouble. Everybody's going to have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said that. That's in the red, okay? I don't care if you're spirit-filled, dance, talk in tongues, and you've seen 14 angels. You're going to have trouble. <laughs> Just get married. Have kids. You, 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 you won't ever debate that scripture again. You will have trouble. That's just a fact of life. But Jesus said, I think this is important. He never told anybody, if you follow me, you won't have problems. He never told anybody that. Did Jesus have problems? He challenged sin. He challenged people's greed, materialism, their religious exclusivism, pride, sexually managed, mismanaged behavior, racism, bigotry. He went after it. He was always in trouble. And he ended up being killed while he's still a young man. He had big problems. And he said, if you come follow me externally, you're going to have big problems. But he said, the world hates you. If it does, then keep in mind it hated me first. I've told you these things so you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But don't worry. I've overcome the world. Over and over about this worry thing, this worry thing. This is why he says not to worry. But not because you won't have problems. He's going to go through the problem with me. That means a lot, knowing I can't see him. I, can't, I don't know what he's up to. But I know enough Bible from the Old and New Testament to know, and from now from experience, that he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's got you. You, you have to remind yourself of that because fear will come. I'm alone. What will I do? No one will take care of us. I got you. I got you. When our daughters were real little, I think about five and three, we, we, we were in a hotel in Fort Myers, Florida with a big pool. And, and they were taking turns jumping to me in the pool. Chrissy was jumping to me. Alicia, the younger one, was sitting on the edge of the pool, and she slipped into the water. Now, we had talked to our girls before about being careful, being safe. We had warned them of the danger of drowning. So Chrissy jumped to me, and Alicia slipped into the water. She was under for less than a half second. But when I pulled her up, she was crying, I drowned, I drowned, I drowned. <laughs> now, catch her this. From her perspective, it was terrifying. From father's perspective, it was funny. And I said, no, honey, you didn't drown. Daddy had you all the time. You were always safe. So let's not tell mommy about this. <laughs> I... I knew what Alicia didn't know, that she was never in danger, that her father had her the whole time. She didn't know that. I knew that. 
And what you need to know is your heavenly father, if you're a Christian, he's got you. He's there. You don't need to panic. I affirm that. I believe it the way Jesus did. Death itself, every kind of loss is simply nothing to worry about because you are always in the hand of your almighty father. And even when that moment comes, when death itself comes, and it will, it'll be like Alicia dipping in the pool and coming up saying, I drowned, I drowned. And maybe you did. But then the father will say, I had you the whole time. I had you the whole time. Jesus said, the one who believes who trusts in me, even though he dies, will live, will not taste death. So can you see nothing is ultimately at risk? Now, when people hear a message like that, they tend to think, I know Jesus said not to worry, and I feel really bad about worrying. And they'll try really hard not to worry. Have you ever tried really hard not to worry? As Dr. Phil says, and how's that working for you? Doesn't work. Not good, because you can't stop worrying by trying not to worry. That's not the Jesus way. Paul puts it like this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So the idea is when worry comes into your mind, don't feel guilty about it. Don't think that your faith is inadequate. Don't beat yourself up. You pray. Make that request known. Cast that anxiety on, on Jesus. He, he, he says to cast our care on him for he cares for us. I hear people say, well, I'm a burden bearer. Well, I'm not. Jesus told me he'll carry it. I'm dumping it. You go ahead and carry all you want to carry. Burden bearer. He cast your burden on me, he said. So you've got a lot of weight on you. Get rid of it today. You put that on him, right? You write down that worry. Maybe it'll help you to do something physically. Write it on a piece of paper. Then pray about it. Cast it on Jesus. Throw it in a trash can. Wad it up. And every time that worry comes, do it again. Every time fear comes to my mind, every time worry about some situation or some cause or some family or some, something in our family or children or whatever, I mean, obviously, I feel just like you do. Immediately, you get hit with a little anxiety of, of, of concern or even fear, and then I have to, I have to preach right back at myself. Uh, Lord, you got this. You're here. I, this is not a good thing, but you're going to work good out of this thing because you're in it. I'm going to count it all joy, not joy because I got trouble, but joy because you're in the trouble with me. You will see me through this. Whatever you're in right now, God's in that trouble with you. He will never forsake you. He's not mad at you, even if you are the one who screwed it up. He loves you, and he'll make you a better person coming through this thing. Sometimes our troubles drive us to him. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If we had no checks and balances and God never disciplined us in any way, we'd be a rioting crowd. But thank God. He says, if you are without chastisement, you're an illegal child. Uh, the King James says a bastard, meaning an unfathered. But we're fathered by Jesus through his father God, through Jesus, his son. I have a daddy who loves me, who's got me. It caught me by surprise, but it didn't catch him. And whatever you've got to go through, he's going to go through it with you. He's there. He's got your back. Even to the death of a child of God, God's there, and he's got you. And I remind myself of that. So periodically, that may come back in a day a couple of times. Well, this will never work out. This marriage will never work out. I'll never get out of this debt. Will I ever get a good-paying job at my age now that the company's laid me off? You go ahead, and you'll be a nervous wreck if you start thinking, like that all the way down. God says, 
I will take care of you. Seek first me and my righteousness. All this stuff will be added to you. I don't know how it's going to come out. I just know it's going to come out, and he's with me in it, and I am not going to allow it to get me tense. So my first concern to Cindy is always calm down. You ain't helping nothing. Calm down. Let's be intelligent and pray. That is a good thing. Men ought always to pray and not to quit or be anxious and worry. So over and over we're told, don't worry. It comes to all of us. But you put that business in the hand of God, you put that child in the hand of God, you put that health issue in, in the hand of God, and I couldn't feel safer. I may go under the water, but I'm not going to drown. I may go through the fire, but I'm not going to be burned. So right now, what's your worry? Some of you worried about next year. I don't know. It's another year. Now, here's a good one from 3 John, and I prophesy it over you. May you be in health, and may you prosper even as your soul prospers in this new year. Deuteronomy 1.11, may the Lord bless you a thousand times more. Get you some of that. May the Lord bless you a thousand times more. So right now, what's your worry? What's your concern? What makes you afraid? Health, death, financial loss, your job, unemployment, marriage, Maybe it's another person. Write it down. Then destroy it. Give it to God. And every time that thing comes back to you, each day, His non-anxious presence will be there. We're going to be okay. We've done it in business. We've done it through the church. We've done it in our family. You can do it as well. I can tell you it is not God's will for you to eat yourself up with drama and anxiety. So when I walk in to pray with somebody... I'm going to calm them down. Whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. And so I'm going to pray the report of the Lord over anybody in trouble that I'm praying for. God's not going to turn his back on you because you screwed up. Or we'd all be out of, out, of, out of hope or help. I want you to bow your head with me for just a second. And right now you think about the most concerning worry you have. It could be your business. It could be... Uh, career choice, it could be a job, could be marriage, could be some addiction you're dealing with. God's, God's got you. He's not going to throw you away. And the enemy always wants you to think, well, God's had enough of you. That's it. No hope for you. And then it leads you right back into your addiction or right back into your aberrant lifestyle or right back into your hopelessness and despair. That is a lie. He will never turn his back on you, ever. So with confidence, you go right down that worry. And in your heart right now, just see yourself throwing that thing off a, a mile-high building. And say, Lord, I trust you. I'm casting this care on you because I know you care for me. Help me. Thank you. You'll see me through. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.